On today's pilot episode, I will be sharing my own personal story with you. I want you all to know how I got here, the dark nights of the soul that I myself have been through, and that hope and healing are always possible. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I will be talking about topics such as abuse and addiction, and this episode could contain multiple triggers for people. Please keep that in mind. My parents were 17 years old when they conceived me. They were in high school in Memphis, Tennessee. They were not married. They both came from really, really difficult backgrounds filled with trauma and divorce and abuse and addiction themselves. And when they first got pregnant, I have always heard the story that they had planned to have an abortion. What I found out even in the last couple of years that I didn't know is that they actually had an appointment in the state of Kentucky. They lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and apparently my mom had gone to visit her dad on the farm where he lived in West Tennessee. In the course of God and the universe, he ended up saying something that caused her to second guess that decision. And they ultimately chose to have me. They did get married. They maybe made it about three years. Coming from the backgrounds that they had and having done no emotional work, being very young children themselves, were pretty ill-equipped to try to go the route of marriage, much less parenting. And so within three years, they divorced. So mom and I moved to an apartment. I remember my dad coming over one particular evening and I would assume was probably drunk. He had a problem my entire life with alcohol abuse And he was banging on the door and screaming. And I was alone in the apartment with my mom. And my mom was asleep on the couch. And I couldn't wake her up. And I just remember that feeling of fear of there is a volatile, violent man outside this door. And I am alone here trying to figure out what to do. I remember another time... Uh, waking up and being completely alone in the apartment. No one was there. There was no adult there. And worse yet, I apparently left the apartment and started wandering the complex looking for my mom. And as I remember it, found her on the tennis court playing tennis with a boyfriend. And it wasn't long before she ended up starting to date and move in with a man named Johnny who would years later become my stepfather. We still lived in Memphis, and he was also an alcoholic and very, very unstable and abusive. 
during the time we had moved to a different house and I have a lot of very vivid memories of him beating my mom. He would beat her with a belt and I would hear that noise and I would hear her cries and his screams a lot as a little girl and I would have been three, four years old at this point. I have a memory at this house of being in the bathroom with mom after one of these beatings, wiping her face and her body with a washcloth and cleaning up the blood from the wounds of his beating. I remember one of the most shameful things happened in this time frame as well, where I woke up, he was beating her. It was the familiar sounds. Um, the cries, and I had to go to the bathroom really bad. And I knew I didn't want to leave my room. I didn't want to draw his attention, and I didn't want him to hurt me. And so I crouched in the corner of my bedroom, and I peed on the carpet like an animal because I was so afraid to leave my room. And that begins a really common theme in my story of the shame that I felt of things I did to cope with and survive a story that was really, really too much for a little girl or any child. Not long after, I remember that we moved to a different house. I remember starting school. I started as early as you can. And school was really my happy place. Throughout my entire story, school was the place I felt safe. I always felt successful at school. I was well-liked. I was charming. I was kind. I was intelligent. And I just always remember feeling like school was the place in my world that was stable and secure and it helped that I felt successful. I felt successful with teachers and loved by teachers, and I felt that way with my peers as well, and always had a lot of friends and good friends, as I remember it, throughout all of school. My stepdad didn't work. He was always involved in some sort of creative endeavor to make money. I say that to say we were very poor throughout my, really my entire life. I remember in the first grade, I had the prettiest teacher and I remember her name was Mrs. Drake. And she was newly married as I remember it and didn't have children. But I remember her being so kind and caring. And I actually told her at one point that my stepfather was abusing me. I remember being terrified and I thought I had done this brave thing, but all I knew is that somehow they called my family and I had to wait at school for them to come pick me up. And I just remember thinking, I was trying to do a brave thing by telling someone the truth. And now I'm waiting on the scariest man to come pick me up.
I had off and on visitation with my dad throughout this time. One particular weekend, I was visiting my dad. And it was Sunday, as I remember, and time to go home. Somehow, we began to call my mom to see what time she wanted him to bring me home. And I remember my dad coming in and saying to me, your mom has moved. She moved to Mississippi. She's not here. And that was an awful feeling. At this point, I was in fourth grade, about to go into fifth grade. And literally in the dead of night, they moved to another state and didn't tell me. So somehow I end up joining them in Mississippi. I don't know the logistics of that. Don't remember that part. I remember we moved to a house when I was a little girl. Someone, uh, my parents, I'm assuming, bought me the prettiest canopy bedroom suit. But the house we moved into um, ended up burning to the ground on a Christmas Eve. And I lost my bedroom suit. Of all the things that I've lost along the way, it is still one that really sticks out to me. Something about the picture of normal in the midst of just a really broken, broken home situation is something I'll never forget. But living in this particular house, I have some really strong memories um, before it burned down. I remember that it feels like at this part of the story, my stepdad, Johnny, began to really psychologically abuse me. And what I mean by that is he was just very, very controlling of odd things. He really was controlling about what I ate. And I don't know why. I had no eating issues. I wasn't underweight or overweight. And it would start with things like I could never leave the table until I'd eaten everything on my plate. And I mean, if that was ours, I tended to be a tiny bit stubborn. And so I could stretch it out into hours, especially on nights where we had cooked cabbage or broccoli. But he would make me sit at the table as a form of control and punishment until I ate everything on my plate. Then that progressed into him becoming really obsessed with me eating all my lunch at school to the point that he would watch me and he would have people come in and watch me at school to see what I was eating. He got really obsessed at one point about me chewing gum. I could not chew gum for years. And he would also have people spy on me at school to see if I was chewing gum. I remember that being very, very creepy and just feeling creepy to me. At this point, I had long brown hair. I was always have been and still am a girly girl who's also a tomboy and an athlete. And I loved my long brown hair. And for whatever reason, I think to let me know that he had power and control over me. At one point, he arbitrarily decided that I was getting all my hair cut off like a boy. And worse yet, he took me to a barber shop where only men visited and made me get my hair cut there 
to look like a boy. His form of punishment at one point, and I can't remember what I did at this point, but I'd gotten a couple of dresses for Christmas one year for my stepmom. And I just remember I didn't care for them. I didn't really like them. And so I took them home, of course, and put them in the back of my closet and resolved to never wear them. And somehow he knew about that. He knew they were there. And at one point, my punishment was he made me wear those dresses to school every single day. And I wasn't allowed to wear any other clothes but two dresses every other day for months. Somehow, along in there, same time I'm wearing the dresses, I apparently got in trouble because I wouldn't put my umbrella up on the way to school when it was raining. So then his punishment was with the dresses on, I had to walk to the school bus every single day, rain or shine, with my umbrella up. And wouldn't you know, my house was the last stop before the bus got to school. And so I had to do that in front of a bus full of children in these awful dresses with my umbrella up on a sunny day. The other thing that began to be really prominent during this time period, and these are my fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade years that we lived in Northern Mississippi, is he began to really groom me for sexual abuse. I remember him causing a lot of trouble between my mom and her family. My grandmother was actually, for all of her imperfections, she really cared about my mom and she cared about me and she was a really strong woman. I come from a line of really strong women and she tried a lot to help us during these years and he would create all kinds of drama and problems so that we weren't allowed. Mom wasn't allowed to talk to her or mom chose not to talk to her. I don't know. He had a lot of power and control over my mom as well. So a lot of isolation. We didn't have friends. We didn't live anything like the life I live today. We weren't a part of any community. Nobody knew what was going on inside our home, and I wasn't really allowed to go to many other people's homes. He also just spent a ridiculous amount of time with me, which is like the ultimate screw with your brain kind of thing that this person who really wants to harm you and consistently harms you also wants to spend a lot of time with you. And we did a lot of things like fishing and camping. He was very outdoorsy. I think like as a 12-year-old girl, I knew how to fully clean an entire fish and fillet it. And he and I either did these things alone or we did these things a lot with my mom as well. But nobody else was around. There weren't aunts, uncles, there weren't grandparents, there weren't friends. And long about this time, some of the sexual things that he started doing that were inappropriate is one day I was riding in the car with him alone, and he looked over at me and said, your breasts are going to be bigger than your mom's breasts, making really inappropriate comments, letting me know that he had noticed my body. 
he would accidentally, in air quotes, walk into the bathroom a lot when I was getting in and out of the shower. One of the creepiest and darkest memories I have during this time period, he slept from the waist down naked. Um, I remember him sleeping in like a t-shirt and just not wearing anything else. And it was very common that I woke up in the middle of the night with him kneeling beside my bed. I don't know what he was doing to this day. I don't know if maybe he was touching me and I don't have memory of that. I don't know if he was masturbating, but every time it happened, I did one of two things. I either noticeably woke up, at which point he inevitably would act like he was looking for one of our pets to put them outside, or I would just pretend to stay asleep. To this day, that particular scene of my story is one of the creepiest and gives me one of the worst feelings in my body. And that's something that just tells my knower, the knower that we all have, that inner compass, it tells me that I knew something evil and dark was happening in those moments. Then there was a night that my mom went to the hospital to have my younger brother. They decided to have children together. Um, And so I was 12 years old when my oldest brother, half-brother, was born. And he did not stay with her in the hospital. I don't know. Maybe he had to come back and stay with me, so I wasn't alone. I remember that this was a time where I began having my period. I don't know if it was the first month I ever had a period, but it was one of the first few months, at least. I happened to be laying in bed with him, um, which for whatever weird reason was fairly comfortable for me at that time. And I was cramping. And again, this was so new to me. I didn't really know how to care for myself yet and what to do. And I remember him asking if I wanted his help. And I said, sure. I remember him taking his hand. And it felt like it took a year for his hand to travel underneath my shirt, down my body, until he touched me on my vagina. I don't know how long it lasted. I I don't know the extent beyond that. Those are the, the details I remember. And one of the things I'm most grateful for, if you are an abuse victim or you know someone who's been abused, there is always moments that you feel crazy or you feel like, I just imagined that it didn't really happen. It's vague. I must have made it up. I'm just being dramatic. And the thing that tells me the greatest truth about that particular night is I got up immediately and I went and slept on the couch. I don't know why I didn't just go to my bed in my bedroom, which was right next door. 
but I remember removing myself from the situation and taking myself to sleep on the couch. And I remember that I did that because I knew something so very wrong had happened. And I knew it was not safe anymore. I remember telling my mom at some point, not long after that, I can't say exactly how the conversation went, but I have always tended to be a brave person and a truth teller. And I remember telling her the truth. And I don't know what she said or did, but all I know is I remember her doing nothing. And so I decided at this point, I needed to protect myself And I was in the eighth grade, started puberty, and knew knew where this thing was headed. I don't even know how I knew that. And so I began to make plans to move in with my dad, who was back in Memphis at the time. I actually asked to go stay with several family friends um, or families that I knew, and them telling me no to that part, but they agreed ultimately, or my mom did, to let me go and live with my dad when I got done with a grade year. It won't surprise you that I graduated valedictorian of my eighth grade class. Now, keep in mind, I was in rural Mississippi. There was maybe 40 people in my class, but that's something. And again, just speaks to this element that that I was very successful and happy at school. I have a lot of people in my life now on social media who track me down from those Mississippi days. And um, some I've had contact with and some I haven't, but I really have it in my mind to have a trip back there and talk to some people if I can. I remember there was a teacher who drove me to school every day, Mrs. Smith. And I just often wonder what my friends thought and what she thought. I wonder if I ever looked like I had been up all night or looked like I had been abused. I just wonder what, if you could see me from outside eyes all through these years, what I must have seemed like. If I had to guess, I think it was probably, it is probably something like, what happens even to this day where I tend to always look like I have it together on the outside, always look like the strong one and the capable one, even when I'm not. So, I am moving to Memphis to live with my dad. So I begin life with my dad, who at this point has married. She had a son from her first marriage who was a few years younger than me. And they had just had a son together who I feel like was probably two or three when I moved in with them. The thing about my dad, he I knew he was an alcoholic. I knew he was an addict. I knew he had a lot of volatility and instability as well. 
but I never remember him being personally dangerous to me. And that felt like the world at this point. And I did really like my stepmom, and she proved to be and is still a very lovely woman who I, I still keep up with. But I move in and begin my freshman year at a new school, a private school in Midtown Memphis where we lived. And guess what? I was successful and I was liked and I made great grades. And I discovered the world of athletics, which not that they didn't have sports in Mississippi, but obviously there were just weren't as many resources in a rural area. So here I am in the big city of Memphis and all of a sudden the athletics world is my oyster. My dad continues to be pretty volatile. Some of the memories I have of him during this time period is he would pick us up on snow days and he would already be drunk. And I remember him driving really dangerously and scary to me through the streets with ice and snow on him and sliding all over the place and thinking it was hilarious. I remember him having fits of rage, like if I would put the orange juice back in the refrigerator with just a little bit in the bottom, he was going to rage at me for several minutes over something like that. He started showing signs of paranoia and saying things like people were outside. He would be out in the middle of the night in the bushes looking for people. He would call us from work. He was self-employed at the time. He probably was the only way he could maintain a job, given how bad he was doing at the time. But he would call us and say that he was coming home to kill us all. And at one point, I am in Mississippi visiting some of my old friends, and I get a call that um, my dad has shot himself in our backyard and he's in the hospital. So, of course, I rush home. And I remember walking into the hospital in, in Memphis. I remember him being conscious at the time. And I remember him saying, if you had been here, I wouldn't have done this. Which is also a theme throughout my story of being the parent to these parents of mine to being the grown-up one and the one that they leaned on instead of the one that I got to lean on. And I certainly played that role with my mom, and I played it with my dad as well. What emerges from this hospital stay that we had no idea about is my dad is headlong into a cocaine addiction. He begins kind of this on-again, off-again road of recovery. He relapsed a lot, but continued to not be able to maintain sobriety. At this point, his marriage to my stepmom is kind of falling apart. At one point, I remember things became so unstable and desperate in our house that I went to live with my best friend and her parents. And they even were willing to go to court to get temporary custody of me. 
and I live with them for a season. The striking thing about my story that you'll hear from beginning to end is how many people I believe God placed in my path to be love to me, to be a small light to me, and a lot of darkness and a lot of brokenness. And they were some of those people. 